Welcome to the Halakha Hour on JRoot Radio. This is the Halakha Hour airing live on Wednesday, Tubishpat, on jrootradio.com. Let's give you the addresses, the phone numbers, how to listen and how to contact us. And then from there we'll pick up. We have a special class today because it's Tubishpat. Bezat Hashem will be speaking about the laws, the Halakhot of Berachot. Obviously we can't cover all the Halakhot, but we hope to give a very... Uh, informative shiur on the laws of Berachot. Let's start first of all with the address jrootradio.com. That's the website. That's you can watch us over there live, live streaming right now, and you can listen to us also over there on jrootradio.com. If you like to listen through on your phone, you could do it in one of two ways: either by calling. The phone number is 718-506-9099. And if you're sick and tired of dialing a 718 number, you know, you want to go a little bit outside the Brooklyn area, you could dial 712-432-4217. The other way of listening to us over your phone, if you have a smartphone, if you have the app, the JRoot Radio Pro app, an excellent app, just press the button, press let, let the app go on, and you'll be automatically connected to live streaming. That's the other way to listen. And here are the phone numbers to reach us by the station. The phone number is 718-683-5858. That's a phone number to call into the station. If you'd like to call in and be on live from 2 to 3 p.m., you could call in and ask your questions, give your comments, whatever you may like on these halachot, although we always prefer that the phone numbers should come after the class because we found that much of the questions that are being asked are usually answered towards the uh, the duration of the show. The text number, which makes it easier to answer, we reply to you if we're still on the air, we'll probably reply on the air. If not, we'll text you back. The phone number is, I mean, the text number is 347-927-8398. Again, the phone numbers are... 718-506-9099 to listen, 718-683-5858 to call in, and the text is 347-927-8398. We are going to take a break from our usual halakhot. We have been learning the halakhot of Amir al-Akum, what we could tell a goy to do for us on Shabbat and what we cannot tell a goy to do for us on Shabbat. We will continue those by Zadshim next week. Because of today, that's today is Tu Bishbat, we will take a little bit of a break and learn the, some halachot on Berachot, some important halachot of Berachot, and <clears throat> discuss certain ideas. Before we begin, let's just uh, give uh, say that this class is dedicated for the Refuah Shalema of Yaakov Ben Jenny, as well as Rita Batfania, Yaakov Siyom Ben Rosa, and Eliyahu Hayim Ben Shafika Sofia. Hashem should give each one of them a speedy recovery very, very, very soon. Hashem should see them come back to their full health. is today, Rabotai, and that means we are less than a month away from Purim, and we're excited. Purim, the spirit of Purim is in the air. You walk into Judaicas already, they're setting up the books on Megillat Esther, all the, the Judaicas, all the different things for Purim, the holiday Purim. Kids are already getting excited. Parents are thinking what to send for Mishloach Manot, but we still got to get by Tubishbat. And Tubishbat is a time where we could learn 
a lot of, uh, well, we need to learn a lot of halachot, berachot, so we prepare ourselves for Purim when we get all these yummy and delicious mishloach manot. We have callers, and we're going to try to call them. We're going to try to put them on the air. If we ask, again, that you should try to call at the end of the class, unless you have a specific question. Jay Root? Hello? Hello? Yes. This is Halakha Awa. You have a question? Okay. We figured. Back to our class. Okay. Some Halakhot of Berachot, but before we get to Halakhot Berachot, maybe a small idea about Tu the significance of Tu because, you know, if you look in the Mishnah, it seems like the holiday of Tu I don't know if it's really a holiday, somebody walked into Shul this morning saying, Hag Sameach, Hag Sameach. It's not a Hag. We just uh, don't say Tahanun, we don't say Anna, we say Hashem today, but besides that, what is the significance of Tu We're not farmers. The Gemara says that Tu or the Mishnah says, is Rosh, Hashana la'ilan. We hold like Beit Hillel, who say that on the 15th of Shabbat, it's considered Rosh Hashanah What this means is that if a person is separating ma'asir, the law by separating ma'asir, tithing, separating 10% of your produce of the fields in Eretz Israel, the law is that you cannot separate from one year to another. Whatever you make that year, that's where you got to separate from. Le'abdil, when you pay taxes in the United States, you... Your taxes go also per year, whatever you made that year. So if you make a certain amount of money, it puts you in a certain quarter, and that's the percentage you have to pay, 30%, 35%, whatever it may be. If you made a certain amount of money that didn't put you in the above quarter, and the next day, well, I think it's January 1st, you made a lot of money, it doesn't count. Each year is by itself. Also, when it comes to separating ma'asir from the fruits of the year, it cannot be taken from one year to another. The question is, when, did the, when does that year begin? Rosh Hashanah, which is the first of Tishrei, or is it Rosh Hodesh, um, the first of Nisan, which is considered also Rosh Hashanah The answer is Tu Bishbat. The 15th of Shabbat is considered the beginning of the year. Anything that sprouts from now onwards is considered part of this year. If it sprouted yesterday, it's considered part of last year. When I separate my ma'asir, I will count what sprouted yesterday from the for the year beforehand. That's the halakha, the significance in the halakha of Tu Bishbat. So we're going to ask, why? what are we celebrating? Okay, it's great. We, we make blessings on Avayat and everything. But how is it significant to us in Abudat Hashem? We don't have farms. We're not raising anything. We're not Hayab ma'asir. In fact, some people may have not, never visited a farm in their life. Certainly not in Eres Israel. So we'll tell you in a very nice idea that's brought down. The Gemara explains why this day. How come How come this day was selected? Was the day that we say that everything should, you know, should be considered that this day should be considered Rosh Hashanah La'ilan? Monday choose. I don't know. Adar, Zman of Samha, Nisan, when the fruits actually come out. Why was Tubishbat selected? So the Gemara Masechet Rosh Hashanah explains because on this day. The seraf goes up the ilan. What is what's seraf? Any liquid from a tree, or you know, basically going up the tree or coming out of the tree is referred to as seraf. Seraf usually or sheraf. Some people say with a shin, with a sin. Seraf is basically maple syrup. Let's give you an example. Maple syrup. This is liquid coming out of a tree. Sweet. That ma- maple syrup is called seraf. Seraf. Liquids. In the tree as well, it's called Saraf. The Gemara explains that in the winter when it's a raining season, 
and the rain comes down, the ground absorbs the water, but the tree doesn't begin to drink from that water until Tu B'Shvat. Tu B'Shvat is the first day when the water, the Salaf, starts to go up the roots in the tree, it goes starts to go up the tree. Now the tree begins to drink. So technically, the Gemara is telling us that the first sign of growth, the first stage of the growth of the fruits of the year is on Tu B'Shvat. That's when it begins. When you see during April and Nisan, you see the trees already are blossoming, leaves are coming out, fruits are coming out, and by the summer, already by June, already you see the fruits completely out, you should know that all began from Tu B'Shvat. Tu B'Shvat was the first time when they started drinking from that water. And that's why this is when it's Koveya. This is what the Gemara says. The Maharal has an amazing idea. It's a fundamental idea. This is not just an idea here, but it's an idea that applies at all times. The Maharal explains in Sefi Gibrot Hashem that any time you see something in the physical world, it's just a revelation to us. It's basically a message to us of what's really going on in the spiritual world. The Maharal explains, if you see that the holidays of the Torah was when it spoke about the three holidays, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, you notice the, Gemara, the Torah always mentions these holidays by the seasons. Mean to say, it will say Pesach, which is in Aviv, in the spring. Hag Aviv, in fact, it's called. The holiday of spring, when things already are, Aviv means it starts to come out, it starts budding. And Hag Shavuot, is Haga Katsir, the time when things are being harvested because it's fully developed. And Hag Hasukot is called Hag HaAsiv, in time when you bring in all your harvest from the field, you bring it into the house. The Maharal explains that just like in the physical world, Pesach, we see things starting to sprout. And Shabbat, we see things are fully developed. And by Sukkot, we bring it home. That's the three holidays. Pesach is the beginning of sprouting spiritually. By Shavuot, we should have been already fully grown from that year's learning. And by Sukkot already, we bring her all home and stock up on all the spirituality that we gained, especially in the last six months of the year, which is from Pesach to Sukkot, which are full of holidays, to take us into the cold days of winter. So therefore, we could add on to the Maharal and explain that's the same idea of Tu Bishpat. Throughout the winter days, when... We don't have so much holidays. Certainly we don't have any holidays from the Torah. We had a lot of time to learn. We had a lot of time to grow spiritually. We had a lot of opportunities, whether we used it or not. Whoever used up these opportunities, whoever made the best out of them, Tubishpat is not the time when you could basically begin to enjoy your hard work. The staff goes up to Ilan. The liquid, the drinking, the raining water starts going up the tree and it's the first sign of growth. We may not see it, we may not feel it, but that's what's happening spiritually. Whatever we've attained from the raining season, from Sukkot already until now, now it starts to come out all the ideas of Torah that we learned are, should, are now coming out our responsibility is to start bringing Lemaase. Maybe we've worked a lot on information this past winter. We've learned a lot. We've gained a lot. But we now have to start applying already what we're learning and bring it 
from halakha to ma'aseh. You've been focusing on the halakhot of Amir al-Akum. You've been focusing on the halakhot of what one could read, one could not read on Shabbat. Now you start already applying it halakha le ma'aseh. And there's a special siyat al-Dishmaya. As the trees themselves are starting to grow, ki adam Human beings are also comparable to trees, and we also are beginning to grow. And we already must take from what we learned and start applying it. This is the significance of Tubishbat. This is why it's important. This is why it's marked on the calendar, not just for farmers, but for all of us. We don't say Taknu, it's a day of celebration because we're beginning to grow. Spiritually, we are now applying what we learned. And therefore, we'll jump right into our halachot and bring it to the ma'aseh, halachot of berachot. We're going to begin with small ideas, simple things of berachot, and then get a little bit more complicated. It will be very simple in the, middle, in the beginning. You may say, oh, I already know this. But pay attention anyway, because some details may not be so clear to everybody. And also, I believe it's a good source to have. The person should start with the foundations, and then we're going to... Focus on one specific halacha. Let's begin with the Gemara. Gemara Masech Berachot. First page that the Gemara speaks about the blessings that we make on food. The Gemara says the following: Tanu Rabanan, Asur lo laAdam sheyhenei maolam hazeh belo beracha. It's forbidden for a person to benefit from this world without any blessings. And if a person wants to do it anyway, a person wants to take pleasure from this world without giving a blessing, without saying a beracha, reciting a blessing to Hashem. Ma'al. What he's done is he's committed an act of treachery. What does that mean? It's like you stole. You stole from the world of God. Not only that, you stole Kadashim. You took things that are not belong to you. It belongs to Hashem. It's equal, according to the Gemara, it's equal as if you went to the Beit HaMikdash and you took one of the animals that's being slaughtered to be brought on top of the Mizbah. You took it and you ate it. That's not yours. That belongs to the Mizbah. belongs to God. How are you eating it? That's called ma'ila. The Gemara says ma'al. Ma'ita kante. So the Gemara asks, okay, what could he do to rectify this? The Gemara says, yelech etzel hacham. He should go to a hacham. Uh, this applies, by the way, even for Ashkenazim. You know, go to a hacham, go to a rabbi. The Gemara asks the question, what do you mean? He already ate. Yelech etzel hacham. What's a hacham going to do to him? What is he going to dip him in the mikveh already? The guy already ate without a blessing. What should he do? So the Gemara says, no, no. El Amarava, what it means, what we're trying to tell you is like this. Yelech etzel hacham me'ikara v'ilamedenu brachot k'deh shalayabol l'deh me'ila. Before he comes to eat, he has to go to a rabbi who should teach him the laws of blessings or he should teach him what and how he should make berachot in order that he shouldn't come to the point of benefiting from this world without the proper beracha. And we emphasize the proper beracha. And with this, from this Gemara, we learn three things. Three lessons in the Gemara. First of all, the Gemara says clearly, it's forbidden. You're not allowed to taste anything without a blessing. Now we're focusing on tasting because we're talking about food over here. It doesn't say over here, the Gemara doesn't say that you cannot eat. It says, Yehene, you can't have any benefit. So you can't taste anything without a beracha. Number two, second lesson we learn from this Gemara, that one who does eat without a blessing is committing an Avera. Because it says, Abid le isura. When the Gemara is questioning, what's the rabbi going to help him? The Gemara says, what's the rabbi going to help him already? He already committed a sin. 
So you see from here, the one who eats without a blessing is committing a sin. It's an avira. We're going to explain why, why, how these lessons are in a second. The third lesson that we learn from this Gemara is that one must learn these halakhot from a competent Rav. One cannot just rely and say, okay, you know, I'll just make shahakol and everything. No, it says very clearly over here in the Gemara, before you come to eat, you have to go and learn birachot. And the Gemara didn't tell you just go to anybody. Don't pick up an app. Go to Hakam who's going to help you learn the laws of Berachot. In fact, these three lessons that we just mentioned are brought down in the books of the Poskim in the Halakha. The Tur in Siman Yud brings the following. We said one of the lessons you can't taste anything without a blessing. The Tur writes the following words. Berachah Rishona en la Shi'ur. The blessing that one makes before eating there's no measurement, there's no amount that you have to eat in order to make a blessing. Anything that you eat, you have to make a beracha on it. He says, On anything, on any little tiny food, if a person is eating it to have hana'a from it, then a person must make a blessing before consuming it. Why? Because it's forbidden to benefit from this world without a Vedakha. That's Alakha that the two brings down in Siman Rashud. There's no Mahlokin on this. This is a Gemara. Are there exceptions to this rule? We'll talk about the exceptions in a little bit. Number two, we said the second lesson is that one who eats without a blessing is committing a sin. Like we just quoted also from the Tur. This has halakhic ramifications. There's a halakha that says, which means you cannot put a stumbling block in front of a person. This means spiritually. You cannot be the person causing another Jew or even a Goy to commit an Avira. Goyim just have much less things that they're obligated in. But let's say a Goy, who, for example, a Goy is not like commit Avira Zara. You cannot give something to a Goy. You cannot put the Goy or assist the Goy in committing Avira Zara. Even though you can say he's a Goy, who cares? But he's commanded. He's He's a, he's a creation of God, and all creations of God, humans, that is, all humans, have seven mitzvot. When it comes to a Jew, the Jew is commanded in many, much more mitzvot. 278 mitzvot that are existing today that they have to keep. So therefore, you cannot do anything that will put the Jew in a situation where he's going to commit an isur. This could either be lefna'ver or avira. In any of these cases, if a person, let's... Apply it to our case over here. If a person has somebody by him who came, let's say you have, here's a classical case. You have somebody who came to visit you, a Jewish person that came to visit you, and this person you know for sure is not going to make a beracha. You cannot hand him the food. Why? Because if he would eat from that food without making a blessing, he's committing an isur. He's doing something that's forbidden. And because, like we just learned, and because this person doesn't have any food except for you, it's your house, he didn't bring his own food. You can't say he does it anyway. He does it anyway, let him do it anyway outside in the sea, but in your house, he doesn't have the ability to do it. He can. You cannot give it to him. What do you do in such situations? That's already another question. How to deal with certain relatives or guests that are coming and you know they're not going to make it. That's already a different question. But for you to hand him the food, you are possibly committing the Avira of, not possibly, but probably are committing the Avira of either Mesaya Ledva Avira or Lefna Vel Lotetem Mechshon. Third lesson we learned from Miguel Mara was that a person must go to a competent Rav and learn the Halachot of Berachot before eating. 
There's a very big misconception by people where the Gemara spoke about it or hinted, alluded to it, and the Mishnah Barah brings it. People think that if you know what, I'll just say Shehakol. There's a famous Gemara that says, Shehakol, Alakol Yatsa. If a person said the bracha of Shehakol on anything, he's Yotzei Dehoba. We're going to talk about that soon, later on actually, the bracha of Shehakol, but this is not Lechat Hila. Yatsa means Bedi Aban. He already was Yotzei. By mistake, a person said Shehakol, Yatsa. But the Alakha says, and I'm going to read you, read you word for word what the Mishnah Barah writes. The Mishabara is going on the words of the Ramah in Siman Resh, Bet, towards the end, the Ramah writes, of, says, if a person's mesupak, if a person is in doubt what blessing to make, then he makes shehakol. That's what the Ramah writes. On those words comes the Mishabara and explains, Hainu ahar shelamad lebarer. You learned the laws of berachot, you learned the blessing, the laws of the blessing of the specific food that you want to eat, and you're not sure exactly what this food that you want to eat, what the blessing should be, because you have a mahalokit. This opinion says this, and this opinion says that, or it's very confusing, but you know basically, you learned the subject already, you just cannot come out to a maskana, a conclusion, what the berakha should be. Then you can make shahakol. But if you never learned, if you never learned the laws of blessings, that means you never learned what berachat to make on kiwi. You never learned what berachat to make on cranberries. You never learned what berachat to make on apples, by the way, all the Marites. If you never learned about it, then lo yochal etzel hacham berachot. You cannot eat until you ask, until you go and learn the laws of blessings. Once upon a time, that means you have to go and attend the class. Or hire a tutor that's going to teach you this. Go to Kolel and ask people who know the laws of Berachot to come and teach you. They're not simple halachot, we agree. But you have to learn at least the basic, but otherwise you can't eat. So therefore, many people tell me, what do you mean, Rabbi? You know, I'm at work, I don't know, I just go ahead and eat. And the answer is, you can't do that. You can't just pick up food and you say, Shehakol on everything and you yatsat de Yeah, you have big problems. What do you do, Berachot? That's number one. Number two is, but Shehakol only works with the Abba, but not like a It's a sur to eat unless you learn. So how do you do it? Well, I'm not supposed to eat. Well, you find yourself a rabbi. It doesn't have to be Rav Chaim Kenievsky. It could be anybody that you know is competent. A person it could be an Abrech learning Kolel. It could be any rabbi, basically. It could be the rabbi of the Shulfi he has ability to. And ask him, can I text you if I have questions on the Chod Berachot? That's the best way. If you text, Rabbi, what berakhah do we make on this food? What berakhah do we make on this food? You have somebody who's going to answer, you're going to reply to you. And you have to be a little bit patient, by the way. Don't expect an answer right away. But be a little bit patient. That means you're ready to wait two minutes maybe to eat your food. Then, okay, then we have what to talk about. But otherwise, you can't just go ahead and make the berakhah whatever you like. We have a caller. Let's take a phone call right now. Hello? Hello? Okay. We don't have a caller. Those are the halachot rabotai. If a person wants to eat, he has to learn the halachot rabotai and then go ahead and eat. Okay, with that, let's give you some basics. This way you could say, oh, I learned at least the basics, and then we could go on. It's going to sound really basic, but we have to go through them. There are basically, when it comes to food, there are basically six halachot that we're going to be working with, most of us. Hamotzi, the brachav hamotzi, which goes on bread, that's pretty straight and simple. Anytime you have flour and water together, they are mixed, 
and the ingredients just have flour and water, they don't have any additives, this is hamotzi, according to all opinions. You don't have to ask, you don't have to worry. It doesn't make a difference what the shape is in general. If it's just flour and water and it's baked that way and it's not made to be crunchy, it's going to be hamotzi. Breads are hamotzi. If there's additives and ingredients, it's something more complicated. We're not discussing with that. Second beracha that we deal with is mezonot. Mezonot are usually the berachot that we'll make on baked products that have... So it's a little complicated what would be mezonot, but in short, one of them that will be mezonot is anytime you have, for Sfaradim, anytime you add anything to the dough, when it's still dough, that means in the flour and water, you're adding another um, ingredient where after baking, you're able to taste it and you can tell what the taste is. According to Sfaradim, you're going to make a bracha of mezonot. According to the Ashkenazim, if you have flour and water and you added an ingredient, so much ingredient, that's the majority of the mixture, that means more than the water. Let's say you, apple, you added orange juice to the mixture or milk to the mixture, it's more than the water, it's the majority, that is, then you're going to make the bracha of mezonot. That is another case where you make a bracha of mezonot. Laws of Mezonot by themselves will take us uh, many, many classes to explain. But this is in short. Examples, for example, if people want to know, cookies, noodles, uh, those will be Mezonot. Now, the Menhag is also to say Mezonot on rice as a Brachar although it doesn't really fit the laws of Mezonot per se, but this is just for now. We were just talking about Brachar so we could say it very quickly. Next, Beracha is Hagefin. Hagefin is very simple. The Bracha of Hagefin, or as the Eskenazim will say, Hagafin, goes on wine or grape juice. How much wine, how much water could you add to the wine or to the grape juice is a Mahlokir Svaradim Ashkenazim. If you see that there's water that's added to the mixture, you should check with the competent Rav when you can make a Bracha of Hagefin or might be Shako, but that's already you have to discuss with the Rav. Next Beracha, Fourth berachah that we deal with, and this is already now we're getting to berachot that we deal with more. Uh, we'll deal with more is ha'etz. The rule of ha'etz is our, you know, people say fruits, not necessarily because pineapples consider fruit, watermelons consider fruit, but these grow on the ground. They're, they're adama. The rule of ha'etz is basically anything that doesn't need to be planted after it's picked. Let's give you some examples: apples, grapes, oranges, and kiwi. Those are things that are planted, and there's an apple tree. When you pick the apples for the season, the tree will grow again. You don't have to replant again the whole tree of apples. So therefore, fruits that come from vegetation, that's not vegetation, but basically any plants or any trees that you don't have to replant after you pick off the food, will be, in general, will be, the bracha will be ha'etz. Ha'adama. The next blessing is ha'adama. Adama will be the blessings of Adama will be on things that usually go on the ground, but that's not the rule. The rule is that if it grows and you pick it, but once you pick it, you have to replant it again, then the brachal be Adama. For example, most vegetables like this lettuce. When you pick off a lettuce head from the ground, let's say you killed the plant, you have to replant it again. The next season, whatever that may be, you plant it again. Corn, cucumbers, peanuts, papaya. Bananas, those are all the bracha of ha'adama. And finally, the last blessing that we deal with is shehakol. Shehakol lechatchila should be made on foods that basically that don't fit any of the above things that we said, like fish, 
meat, cheese. They don't grow. These are things that usually don't grow from the ground. Fish, meat, cheese, water, salt, mushrooms. Mushrooms don't grow. Mushrooms, uh, although they technically do grow, but basically they're not planted. They're, as the Gemara says, the metavim and ha'avir. They're a fungi. They're a fungus, basically, and just... Uh, it's a bacteria. That's what it is. Fungus is bacteria, and truffles are caused by lightning. That's why they're so expensive. On those things, since they're not grown by the earth, the beracha will be shehakol. All this is lechatchila. When you come to make a beracha, you have to know what you're saying, and you have to come and say the proper blessing. Like we said, you can't just pick up and say shehakol on everything. You can't just say. Um, Mezonot on whatever you want. You have to say the proper blessing before you come to eat. Okay. Let's go to the next category. Next category now. We want to clarify some of the halakhot we said above. We said above that it's forbidden for a person to have any benefit from this world without making a beracha. This is a gemara. The tour brings it down in halakha. There's no mahlokit on this. However... Although there is no mahlokit, but there are cases which are exception. There are cases where a person is technically nehene, or I don't want to say nehene, but there are cases where a person could have some sort of benefit, or at least what we would call benefit from this world, even without saying a blessing. There are two such examples. Number one is what the Shuhana Baruch brings down as mat'aymet in Siman Resh Yud. What is mat'aymet? Mat'aymet means tasting. If a person wants to taste the food to see how it tastes like, then, according to the halakha, you don't need to make a beracha. Let's give you an example. A lady is cooking, she's preparing herself for Shabbat, for Shabbos Kodesh, and she's preparing a soup. Her husband told her, listen, I, I need the soup to be very, very salty. Please, we have this guest coming over, he likes everything salty, please make it salty. Or you have a Sfaradi woman cooking and her husband says, we got this relatives from uh, the Middle East are coming. They like their food spicy. Make sure it's spicy. If you don't tear from it, it's not good enough. Okay? So she's cooking the soup. She's preparing the dish. And she wants to taste the food to see if it's spicy or not. It's a soup. So let's say the bracha of the soup right now is shehakol. So she wants to taste a little bit from the soup to see if it's spicy enough, if she needs more salt. She's doing it just for the sake of tasting. She could taste it without even making beracha. This is not bediabad, this is lechatchila. Taking a mataimit means to taste the food, you could do so even without making beracha. This is a halakha, shurhan aruch. Could you swallow the food that you tasted? Is a mahlokit. According to one opinion, the halakha is that he holds one of the rishonim that if you're tasting the food, you have to spit it out. True, we allowed you to taste it and you, you're, 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 you're getting the flavor, but you can't swallow it. Swallowing it, that will require you to make a beracha. So this opinion holds, if you're tasting the food because you want to know how it tastes like, you must spit it out afterwards. You can't swallow it. You want to swallow it, then you have to make a beracha beforehand. The other opinion holds, there's another opinion, there's Mahlokit, and this is also the opinion of Shohan Aruch, is that if you're tasting the food... Once hachamim allowed you to taste the food, once the said you're allowed to taste the food, you could even swallow it. And what do we do? So really, safek barachot lahakel. It means since there's a mahlok, if you should make a blessing or not make a blessing. So again, let's clarify what everybody agrees on. If he takes into the food, 
if you take a taste of the food and you're spitting it out, everybody agrees, you don't have to make a blessing. However, if you're tasting the food and you want to swallow it, here's a mahlokit. Being that's a mahlokit, we don't put ourselves in a mahlokit when it comes to berachot. We say, safek berachot lehakel. We don't make a beracha. We don't make a beracha. If you want to taste the food and you don't want to spit it out and you're just doing it just to taste, then you don't make a beracha. However, however, lekatilla, if a person, if a person could have a mind that I want to have hana'a, I want to benefit from it, I want to eat it. For example, you're working in the kitchen and you want to taste the soup. You should have a mind, you know what? You want to taste it? The best thing to do, according to all opinions, is have a mind that I want to eat from the soup, make a shehakol, taste it, and then you could swallow it. And then you'll say dehubah according to all opinions. But that's not always possible. You know why it's not possible? Because sometimes you may want to taste the food to figure out what beracha to make. I'll give you an example. You know, there's a joke in the, from the old country. You know, people would say, you know, let me taste the food to see if it's kosher or not. That's nonsense, right? We don't, once you taste it, that's a problem. Only the goy could do that. And we don't even do that nowadays. But in, uh, when it comes to berachot, there are such cases. We mentioned above that flour and water alone, according to all opinions, it's hamotzi. Flour and water, and you added another ingredient to it, according to the sfaradim, if you could taste the ingredient after it's baked and you could tell what it is, it becomes mezonot. Lemashal. Somebody baked dough and he added apple juice or he added orange juice. It doesn't make it automatically mezonot. Not to the Sfaradim and Kavahom and not to Ashkenazim. Only if you could taste the apple juice, you could taste the honey or you could taste the orange juice or the milk in the dough and you could tell, oh, that's apple juice, that's honey, that's milk, then it will make it mezonot. But how am I supposed to tell? I asked the baker and he tells me I added orange juice. But I know this baker. The baker is as stingy as you can get. It's my cousin and I know him. You know, he doesn't spend a penny. So he tells me he added milk. It could be added a spoon of milk to a big batch of dough. So how am I supposed to know? So you taste it. You take a little bite from the bread. You taste it. And if you could tell the milk, if you could taste the milk in the dough or in, now in the bread that you're eating... Then that's it. It becomes mezonot. If you can taste the orange juice, it becomes mezonot. If you can't taste it, that's hamotzi. So, in the rule, rules of mat'aymet, when it comes to tasting food, we said, you don't have to make a beracha. Yeah, but according to other opinions, I should spit it out. Yeah, but you're not, if you have people around you, it's not going to spit it out. How are you going to spit it out in front of everybody? And a lot of times, I've had this situation where, let's say I'm, uh, we're by Simha, and people come, Rabbi, what's the beracha on this bread? Because they already know, not every just because the mashgiach in the kitchen tells you it's mezonot, it's naf davka. Not necessarily the mashgiach knows the halachot of berachot. We hope that he knows at least the halachot of the kitchen of basabe uh, halabo. But he doesn't necessarily know the halachot of berachot. And the rule is you to taste it. Taste the bread. Do you taste? Could you tell what's inside the bread? Could you tell that it's sweet? Could you tell that's honey? Could you tell that's orange juice or apple juice? If yes, then it's mezonot. So somebody will bring me a, a bread and say, what's the beracha? I'll take a little bite. How much is a little bite, by the way? I can't take a big bite. It has to be smaller than the kezait if it's solid. And if it's liquid, it has to be less than the revait. A kezait is about 27 grams. So I have to take less than 27 grams. 27 grams, by the way, is huge when you come to taste food. Or if it's liquid, less than a revait, which is less than 2.9 ounces. And I'll taste it. And I'll tell you right away if it's mezonot or not. I taste it. I personally, let's say, 
if I could not taste the whatever they claim that's inside of it, then it'll be hamotzi. If I could taste it, it'll be mezonot. So here's a case where you can't avoid it. You're tasting a food to find out what bercha is. You're allowed to swallow it because there's people around you and it's disgusting in front of people to spit out your food. And you can do so even without making a blessing. That's if you want to have an hour over here. I'm just doing it to find out what the taste is. And therefore, it's permitted. This is one exception. Another exception where a person may benefit from this world without without making berakha is where it's not a hana'ah. How could you have hana'ah without hana'ah? And this is the word, the word, the key word over here in the Gemara is asullehanot. You cannot have benefit. Although we may call the following a benefit, but the Gemara means a benefit in taste. Any liquid that you drink, whether you like, whether you may like it or may not like it, whether you drink it for medicine purposes or not, as long as you're benefiting, your taste buds are tasting it, you're going to make a bracha on it. Even medicine, even medicine. So you're taking a cough syrup or whatever liquid that the doctor tells you you have to take, it tastes good, you have to make a bracha on it. Even your kid's antibiotics that the doctor tells you you have to, you know, you, you decide to taste it. You see the kid is, mm-hmm, although kids don't like it, I don't know, for some reason. It's only when they're not sick they like to, to take the medicine. In any case, here you have a person who's taking a food, a person is taking a food for medicine or drinking medicine, but it has a flavor. You're going to have to make it on it because it has a flavor. However, when you're taking something not for flavor, it has no flavor, like water, and you're drinking water not for any benefit. Let's say a person is choking on something. Not choking to the point that he can't speak. If you're choking, you can't speak. You can even take orange juice and drink it because uh, well, you have to put yourself in sakana and trying to bring out a bit of chai. We're talking about that. Something is stuck in your throat and you want to wash it down. You're not thirsty. You just need to wash the thing down and you take water. You're not thirsty. You can, you only benefit from water if you're thirsty. I mean to say you only get a flavor of the water when you're thirsty and it quenches your thirst. Here you're not thirsty. You just had a gallon of water. You're on the special diet. But you got food stuck in your throat and you want to wash it down. You didn't make a shahakol yet. You allowed to take a water, lechatela even, even though you could speak, and to drink it and allow the food to go down. Why? There's no flavor in the water. You're not benefiting from the taste of water. You're not thirsty and therefore it's mutar. Another case, you have to take pills. And the only way you can take pills is by drinking a liquid with it. If you're drinking a liquid that has a flavor like orange juice, so you're going to have to make a bracha on it. Even though you're only doing it just to take the medicine. But since the orange juice has a flavor, you're benefiting from that flavor, you have your taste buds that are going to benefit from it, you're going to make a bracha on it. However, if you're drinking it with water and you're not thirsty, I have to emphasize, you're not thirsty either. Let's say it's after a meal and you already said bracha ahrona and now you forgot you have to take your medicine after the meal and you're not thirsty, you're drinking just water to wash it down, you don't make a bracha on the water because there's no hana'ah. The Gemara Anahalcha says, Asul you're not having any hana'ah and it's mutar in such a case without any problem. Okay, without making, mean to say, without making any beracha on that water, since it's only being used to swallow the medicine, or in the first case, to the food that's stuck in your throat, you're just using it to swallow it to go down. We have a question here on the text line, and by the way, I see we're coming, uh, we have 50 minutes of the class, if anybody wants to text in any specific questions, you can text it now. So I have a lot of what, what I'd like to talk about, I don't know if I'll get to it, but we'll uh, we'll try to do what we can. Um, 
the text line sorry, is 347-927-8398. And the number to call in, hopefully, if it's on what we said, I know it could get a little complicated. So if I want to say, you can call now or you can wait till 3 o'clock. It'll be better. Then I'm off the air. You could, I could spend as much time as you would like. 718-683-5858. Let's answer this uh, question on the text line. Does one have to make a bracha on gum? Does a person have to make a bracha on gum? That's an excellent question. And it's right on the subject because here in the Siman in Rishud, when it speaks about gum, I mean, it speaks about matamit tasting, the subject of gum comes up. There's a mahlokit, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah, did you ever hear a mahlokit on halakha? Yeah, there's a halakha, there's a mahlokit ahronim. If gum would fall under the category of matamit, it's considered taste because nothing, phys- the phys- I mean, physically, I don't know scientifically how far you want to go, but there's nothing tangible really going down. It's just your saliva that's mixed with the sugar in the gum. So, I got those opinions. You don't make a brachav gum. It's not, doesn't have any, fl- it has a flavor, but it's not real. Hana'ah, it's considered like a matamit. Therefore, those opinions will hold that gum, even though it has flavor, it has mint, or whatever it may have, you don't make a bracha on it. However, not everybody agrees on this. A lot of poskim hold that on gum you do make a bracha. You are having hana'ah, it's like a candy. Well, the same thing with the candy, it has a flavor, it's all sugar, and the sugar is coming down, and you are benefiting from it. Personally, I do make a bracha on gum. I don't know if that's machria or not. I just presented you with the two opinions. Check with your rabbi and see what he holds. And of course, like usual, you always check with your rabbi and you follow what your rabbi tells you. Next, you know, 15 minutes and a lot what to speak about. So, I want to mention something very quickly. There's something called Kedima and Berachot. What is Kedima and Berachot? We listed above six different Berachot when it comes to eating. When it comes to eating, if you're planning to eat six, I mean, many different types of food, which where you will make pretty much all the berachot, or at least most of the berachot, there's actually an order of what you should make a bracha on first. And if you go back to the class, you rewind, or you go back and you look it up on jradio.com, and you listen to it again, you'll see that we mentioned the six berachot in order. When a person needs to make a beracha, you... Don't just pick up any food that you like and you just eat. You, if you plan to eat from all of them, then you have to pick a specific food and eat from. Uh, you have to take the food that's under a certain beracha. Before we get to that, let's we have a call. One second, Jayut Radio, you're on the yes. air. Yes, yes, I had a question to ask the Rav. Go ahead. Uh, the question is about achilas pras, what it means, and what about bracha chrona. When do you make the bracha chrona? When can't you already make the bracha chrona? Excellent question. Okay. Achilas pras, the Gemara talks about eating foods, and the Gemara explains that one has to eat it in a specific time. Let me just give you an understanding of it. In order for a person to recite an after blessing, to say bracha chrona on food, he has to eat a certain amount. Although Berach we just mentioned, one may not benefit from this world without first saying a which means a When it comes to Berachah which means an after blessing, which means that comes after the food, you have to have a specific amount in order to be obligated. In general, the amount is called is, is the amount of, a, of an olive, an olive in their days, which let's say measures around, let's say one ounce, okay? Yes. But this one ounce has to be consumed in a specific time. Le mashal. 
Let's say I decide to eat right now. It's two o'clock in the afternoon, and I want to take a bite of an apple. The bite, my bite of an apple, is only ten grams. Let's say, okay. Then I save this apple, and I come next week and I take another bite from the apple, and then the week later I take a third bite from the apple. So, ten grams over three weeks, I've consumed thirty grams. That's already more than an ounce. I'm hayab. Am I obligated to say bracha ahrona? So you say, well, you ate the amount. Yeah, but the amount was divided over three weeks. So do we combine that eating? And the answer is no. It's too much of a break in between. What the halakha says in the Gemara, Kedeh Achilat Pras, the Gemara is telling us the, the, in order to combine the food that we eat or the different bites that we take of the food, they have to be combined within a specific time. How long is that time? The time it takes to eat, Pras means a half. There was in those days what a loaf of bread was is Mahlokit Rambam and Rashi exactly how big that bread was, but basically a half of a loaf of bread. How long does it take an average person to eat a half a loaf of bread? That time and that means he's constantly eating the half a loaf of bread. A normal person So let's say it takes five minutes. Okay, so let's say it takes five minutes. So then I have to eat my kizait. I have to eat basically this one ounce of food within those five minutes. If I consume one ounce of food longer than five minutes, according to what you're saying right now, doesn't mean this is halakha, by the way, five minutes, but let's say it's more than five minutes, then it's considered these two, the combination of the foods is not, the food is not combined, the bites, the different bites I took is not going to be combined, which means, let's say, within five minutes I ate 20 grams, and then within the next three minutes I ate another 10 grams, the 20 and the 10 do not combine with each other, it's considered like two different eatings, and I will not make a bracha ahrona. Clear? What is this man of achilas process? Okay, what is this man of achilas process? Excellent. For food, we're talking about food now. Yeah, 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 we're food, for food. For a kezayit of food, for one right, ounce of food. Right, so well, what, what, what do you term a kezayit? How many ounces do you term a kezayit? What is a kezayit to you? How many an ounces? An average of an ounce, about, so there's Oh, because I was told the kezayit is three ounces, so you see, you know. I'm sorry? I was told the kazayas is three ounces, and you're saying it's one ounce. No, no. Uh, a kazayas is not three ounces. According to any shita, it's possible it could be two ounces, according to the Hazon Ish. Um, and a lot, of opinions, a lot of people do follow the opinions of Hazon Ish or Moshe Feinstein, but in general, the kazayas is about around one ounce, especially for Sfaradim. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, see, I'm asking us, and maybe we have a little bit more right. than we have to eat. Even okay. according to you, it will be around two ounces. It will not be more than two ounces. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's let's go whatever measurement that you call uh, a kezayis is. So yeah. the there are opinions as low as two minutes is considered achilas pras, and it goes up to ten minutes. There's a huge mahlokit. In general, tell you what the sfaradim should hold. There's opinions between four and a half minutes to seven and a half minutes. So a person should try to consume something within four and a half minutes, about four and a half minutes. But even up to seven and a half minutes, if a person has consumed the kezayis, he could still say a bracha ahrona. Okay, now, so the question is, what if someone's like munching on cookies and pretzels, you know, like this munching, right? right. And they're, they're like in front of the computer and they're just eating and eating, but they're not, you know, so then they wouldn't say bracha ahrona because it took so long and they're eating different foods, they wouldn't say bracha ahrona? Well, you'll have to, if a person's munching, and he's looking in the bag, I'm pretty sure that he finished, he ate more than this year in the amount of time. Unless he is going, you know, he's coming in front of the computer and getting up, coming back, and he's just something like, kind of like, um, you know, like let's say he's eating sunflower seeds, 
where it's very mm-hmm. difficult by the time you break the seed and by the time you eat the seed which is so small and by the time you finish it you, in sunflower seeds let's say such a case he's eating so much that at the end of the day he did eat much more than kezayis but it's, that's a case where it's very difficult for that person to have eaten a kezayis of sunflower seeds within let's say four and a half minutes or five minutes or even up to seven minutes then in that case you're right he will not make a bracha now but on cookies or pretzels I'm pretty sure an average person who's just snacking on it pretty much had at some sort of time a kezais or an ounce or two within f- seven and a half minutes. And they would say brachachona. Then they would say brachachona. That's correct. Unless a person uh-huh. is certain, you know, a person uh-huh. knows that I took one bite now and then I didn't take another bite till much later. Then in that case, okay, you're right. A person was aware of it. He will not make a brachachona. Uh-huh. So you're saying there's the amount of time that you eat, and then there's the amount of time that you wait till you, till you can say the bracha. Sometimes people are on the phone in between, like they don't know we yes. say the bracha phone, right? Yes. So they would, then they wouldn't be able to say it. Right. Uh-huh. So really, the bracha, to be able to say bracha corner, it has to be within four and a half minutes, you're saying, generally? Between four and, and a half and to seven and half minutes. You'll, you'll of eating it, of eating it, and you have of se- and seven minutes of eating it, and then you have to say right away a bracharon. You no, can't no, no, wait no, no. any span of time. No, once you once you fall into the category of being obligated to say bracharon, yeah. then already it's a different time of how much time you're allowed to say bracharon. If you're done eating, you should lechatchila say bracharon right away. But even if you're not, you have enough time until the food is digesting in your stomach that you can feel like, oh wow, okay, I don't feel uh, the food anymore. I mean to say already it's been so long that uh, it feels like the food got digested already. Some people. So say then, that. in that case, you wouldn't be able to say the bracharon because it's already, uh, you know, it's already digested. Yeah, it's, if, let's say within an hour, half an hour depends yeah. on person. Because you know, for washing the bread, it's we have with seventy-two minutes. You so have same to. thing would be with food. Same thing would be with food. Uh-huh. Okay. 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 Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you for calling. Okay, let's come back to the laws of Kedima Bibrachot. What a person should take. So if you have, okay, we're not going to have so much time to go into it, but let's go very, very quickly. We spoke about this last year, by the way. So if anybody would like to go and listen to, to, to would like to hear these halachot, go to last year's class on Tubushvat and you hear these halachot. But we're going to go very quickly in these five minutes that we have. If a person has in front of him, if a person has in front of him many foods, many different types of foods, and he wants to eat from all of them, first thing, and you plan again, you want to eat from all of them, you can't just pick up any food and just eat it. There's a specific order in which you have to make your berachot. You look on the table and if you, okay, we're assuming by the way there's no bread. You look on the table, you have cookies, you have cakes, you have also on the table, you have lots of different fruits and lots of different vegetables and lots of different drinks and you have wine and grape juice. So what's the order that a person makes his berachot? The first thing you look for is mezonot. Mezonot comes first. The order, by the way, is as follows. Mezonot, hagefen, and then if you sfaradi, ha'etz, and then ha'adama. For Ashkenazim, there's different opinions of you if it's high so it come before Adama but certainly if you do Ha'ez before Adama according to even like the Sfaradim you have a lot of Mikubalim a lot of Poskim to agree with that that will go with you anyway so it goes Mezonot Hagefen then Ha'etz then Ha'adama and finally the Bracha of Shehakol this is the order of blessings when when you have all these in front of you and you want to make a Bracha on them I know that people have Brachot parties when many people get together, 
I know many ladies do this. They get together and they bring all different types of berachot. One person will say berachah and everybody will answer amen. And this is the order. Mezonot, then ha-gefen, then ha-etz, ha-adama, and then finally shehakol. Maga-ish. That's how we remember it. Rashi'at about maga-ish, touching fire. Maga is mem, is mezonot. Gimel is gefen. Ayin is ha-etz. Aleph is Adamam, and finally, Shin is Shehakol. Maga'esh is the order of what to make bracha. In a case where you have many fruits together, and they're all ha'ets, and you like kanan tu bishbat, you have many fruits, and you want to make one beracha, the rule is, you could only make one beracha. One beracha for, will cover many, many different fruits, many different foods, as long as they're all in front of you, or if you have them in mind, even though they're not in front of you. Meaning, let's say you have on your table, you have many different fruits. And they tell you, you know, I know the mango is not here. We're cutting up the mango inside in the kitchen. We're going to bring it here soon. So you pick up a grape and you're going to say hi, it's on the grape. And you have in mind that I'm going to eat the grape and also whatever foods they bring from the kitchen, especially the mango. Then even though the mango was not in front of you, when it comes in front of you, you don't have to make another berakha on it because you had it in mind. You knew you're going to eat from the mango later on. Another example, another case where one blessing will cover everything is when they're all on the table and you don't, you didn't necessarily have kavana uh, for it. What does that mean? You come to the table and you see a oh, beautiful big fruit platter. In fact, many fruit platters with many different fruits. You don't know exactly which, you didn't see every fruit on the table. You don't know what you have in front of you. But you know it's all on the table. You plan to eat from it. You take, let's say, the grape, you make haets, and then you discover there's cherries and there's mangoes and there's apples and there's oranges. You didn't know about it when you made the berakha. But since it was in front of you on the table, the blessing of haets will cover all these foods that are under, that are all the berakha of haets. That's important halakha to keep in mind. But if I'm coming to make the bracha va'ayetz, then it gets a little tricky. I can't just pick up any fruit and make a ha'etz. I have to only choose a blessing. I have to choose, excuse me, a food in the following order. We don't have time so, to go into it so much. But basically it goes like this. If I'm coming to make a bracha, I have to look for one of the special fruits of er- that Eretz Yisrael was praised with, known as Shabbat Minim. The five fruits of Shabbat Minim are in the following order. Olives, dates, then grapes, figs, and pomegranate. If I want to make a bracha of ha'etz, I look on the table. If I see olives on the table, and I want to eat, obviously, from everything on the table, then I'll take the olives. If there's no olives, then I look for dates. If there's no dates, I look for grapes. If there's no grapes, I look for a fig. And if not, I look for a pomegranate. If any of these are on the table and I'm planning to eat from all of them, I make the bracha on them first. Regardless of the size, regardless of the shape, that's what I make a bracha on them first. Next, if I have no Shabbat Minim on the table, I have different types of fruits, some sliced, some whole, then I make the bracha vayetz on something that's shalim. So let's say a cherry, usually nobody slices a cherry. So if I have a cherry on the table, which is shalim, which means it's complete, it's not sliced, not broken up, and I have sliced mango. Even though I may like the mango better, still... I'll make the bracha on the cherry because it's a fruit that's completely intact. It's whole. It's not divided. If, however, I have many fruits on the table, some are whole and some are sliced. In either case. And I have to make a choice between two whole fruits or two sliced fruits that I want to eat. Then I choose what in general, what I usually like better, which is Habib, what I usually like better. If, let's say, usually I'm in the mood, usually I like mango better. Since this time I'm in the mood 
for cherries more. No, not cherries. Cherries is whole. Let's say I have sliced mango and I have sliced apples. Usually I like mango better, but now I'm in the mood for apples. Still, since I usually like mango better, I'm going to make the bracha of on the mango because I usually like it better. So to remember this, Rashi Tebot is mashah. Mem is Shabbat Aminim, Shin is Shalem, and then Habib. This is the order of Berachot. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go into it more. We're already out of time. We would like to give you the numbers. If anybody will have, has any questions, to call us or to text us. You'll be off the air. And right before we sign off, we'd like to wish again a Rufu'ah Shalema to Rita Batfania, Yaakov Ben Jenny, Yaakov Tzion Ben Rosa, Eliyahu Haim Ben Shafika Sophia, and a big thank you to Iran and the J-Root staff, especially Rabbi Nisim Lazari, for all their Avodat HaKodesh. And we bless everybody, Rezat Hashem, Hashem should bless everybody with Berachah, and and we should only see good in our lives. Thank you for joining us. The numbers are 718-683-5858 if you have any questions off the air. For the next 10-15 minutes, we'll be around. And if you have any questions by text, you could text in at 347-927-8398.